This episode of You're Hearing Things could be brought to you by Betty Crocker. Betty Crocker, not a real person. Betty Crocker, add an egg even though it doesn't make any difference. Try Betty Crocker when you don't have time for a family but want to do something with your eggs anyway. Betty Crocker, it's in her box. The box, I mean it's in the box. fucking killing me. I tweaked it making hot cocoa yesterday and I can't move my body left and right. So this episode's going to be a bit on the shorter side. It's a short week this week because tomorrow is Thanksgiving. It's a big day. Big day for food. Big day for turkey. Did you see the turkeys the president is partying, by the way? Did you see that picture of the two of them in an embassy suite somewhere in D.C.? I mean, these have got to be some of the whitest turkeys I have ever seen in my entire life. Speaking of, why is it that only the white turkeys get pardoned? Meanwhile, you got black and brown turkeys being slaughtered left and right for what? Low-level, nonviolent drug offenses? You think these white turkeys aren't committing the same crimes? You think white turkeys don't like to party? Give me a fucking break. Just once. Just once, I'd like to see a president pardon a turkey of color. Is that too much to ask? It's 2019. In a fair and equitable society, a turkey would not be judged by the color of its feathers, but rather the content of its meat, the quality of its meat. Because let's face it, whether it's a black turkey, a brown turkey, or a white turkey, what difference does it make? They're all the same color after you pluck them. So this episode is going to be sort of a Thanksgiving-themed episode, but not really. There's another thing I want to talk about. I started from the premise of a Thanksgiving-themed episode, and I thought to myself, what would that look like? I mean, you can only talk about Thanksgiving for so long before nobody cares. It's a boring holiday, and it celebrates genocide and obesity. That's not to say, listen, I'm not knocking Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. I love eating. It's one of my three favorite things to do. I won't tell you the other two because this is a family show, and I'm still hoping to attract sponsors. What I am going to talk about this week is a movie that I watched last week, a Thanksgiving-themed movie. No, not Dutch. I'm not talking about Dutch. If you tuned in because you were excited about me talking about Dutch, you're going to leave disappointed. This week, I finally got around to watching the film Thanksgiving. And I'm using the word film very loosely when I talk about Thanksgiving because one, it was shot on digital. It's not a film. And two, it's a piece of shit. And that's not me dissing the movie. The movie was made to be a piece of shit. It was the intention of the filmmaker from the get-go to make the worst movie he could make. Did he succeed? We'll get to that in a second. First, though, for context, for those of you who do not know what Thanksgiving is, Thanksgiving is a horror comedy about a group of college kids trying to survive the murder spree of a psychopathic, talking, fully conscious turkey. That's what this movie's about. It's a hard sell. You know, if I'm being honest, it's a hard sell. You know, it's equal parts horror and Thanksgiving, but it's too obscene to watch on Thanksgiving with the family, unless your family is into watching fucked up shit together, in which case I'd recommend therapy instead. And it's too Thanksgiving themed to watch on Halloween. Feels a little premature, like putting Christmas decorations up before December. Now, normally, I'd say the perfect day to watch Thanksgiving would be November 1st, the day after Halloween. But I actually think November 1st is the perfect day to watch Nightmare Before Christmas. And I would never recommend Thanksgiving over Nightmare Before Christmas. It's not nearly as good of a movie. So you're on your own with this one. Watch it whenever you want to, but don't watch it more than once, okay? Don't be that guy. The filmmakers didn't take this movie seriously when they made it, and you shouldn't take it seriously when you watch it or pretend that it's rewatchable because it's not. Listen, I'm not... 
If you think this rant is going to be me shitting on Thanksgiving, you're wrong. I have no interest in tearing this movie down. There's a man out in the world living his life who worked moderately hard on this movie, or at least he did the, you know, he, he did the bare minimum required. His name is Jordan Downey, by the way, no relation to the Robert Downeys. And I completely respect his ability to make a full-length motion picture, which is one of the hardest things a person can do in life. I know this from experience. I can't tell you how many times I have personally failed in my ambitions to make a feature-length film. Nine. The number is nine. I have tried to make a movie nine times and every single project has failed. But Jordan Downey did it on his first try, drunk at age 22. He has nothing but my utmost respect. I wish him well, and he should call me because I'm looking for work. I need a job, Jordan. If you're listening, please hire me. I'd send you a headshot and resume, but I don't have them anymore because I gave up on myself when I hit 30. Now, not only was Jordan Downey able to make a full-length film, he was able to make it on a budget of $3,500, which is insane. And it's only possible to do if you're in your early 20s and have friends. Very easy to find cheap labor when you have friends and you're all young because nobody knows or cares what their time is worth and they'll work for booze. It's even easier if you have friends who are lame and not creative because you're gonna have a simpler time convincing them to make a shitty movie about a killer turkey. Now, I'm in my 30s. The only people that'll work for free in their 30s are people you don't wanna be hanging out with in the first place. You know, when you're in your 30s, everybody's got their own lives and their own things going on, and you can't pay anyone in alcohol anymore because they either abuse it or their body can't digest it properly. But even in my 20s, I found it very hard to make a movie because it's hard to get a group of people to agree on what movie they want to make. My friends are very creative people, so when we tried to make a movie, all we did was fight over every little scene and character and line until it wasn't fun anymore. Even the title of the movie, in this case, Dice, became a point of major contention because when I tell you that the movie was named Dice, you're probably thinking, oh, a gambling movie? Nope, it was a ghost story. Oh, a ghost story about gamblers? Nope, just some guy. Does he gamble? Not once. But for some reason, Jordan Downey was able to break through these obstacles and he made a movie for $3,500. And what's more, the movie has special effects. So as far as I'm concerned, there's no difference between Jordan Downey and George Lucas. They're the same person, and you can't convince me otherwise. I mean, I couldn't even raise $3,500 if I wanted to. I tried to raise $5,000 one time, and I ended up raising $500. I was able to make a short film with $500. It was 15 minutes long. I guess if a feature-length film is at least 70 minutes, if you do the math. Okay, listen, I guess I could make a feature-length film for $3,500, but it wouldn't be any good. But that didn't stop Jordan Downey. So it looks like I just have this mental block in my head that prevents me from making shitty movies. Oh yeah, sure, Chris, that's what it is. Keep telling yourself that. Anyway, this isn't about me. This is about thanks killing. Jordan Downey is a superstar. He made a movie on the cheap, didn't care that it was shitty, and thousands and thousands of people watched it. How many people can say that? And he's still making movies. I think he has a new one out that doesn't look very good called The Headhunters. So... Bravo, Jordan Downey. Bravo. Good for you. I'm in no way jealous of your success. That's not what this is. Get to the point, Chris. Stop pussyfooting around. Okay, so instead of talking about Thanksgiving as a movie, I wanted to use it as a way to give advice to young filmmakers who want to make a movie but don't have the money to make a good one and are thinking about trying to make a movie so bad that it's good, which is... I think what 
Jordan Downey was aiming to do with Thanks Killing. And in my opinion, and I know it doesn't mean much, he did not succeed. Now you're probably thinking, well, Chris, if you don't think Thanks Killing is so bad that it's good, what movies do you think are so bad that they're good? I don't know if you know me well enough to know that I'm a big fan of bad movies. There are a lot of people out there that think I'm pretentious when it comes to film and I'm pompous in my tastes. I don't know where they're getting this from because I love a wide array of movies. You know, from Dr. Strangelove to The Thin Red Line to Cable Guy, Heavyweights, very Brady sequel. I love a, a, a shit ton of movies. Now, one of my favorite types of movies are movies that are so bad that they're good. Now, it's important to know how I define this because you got two types of bad movies. Bad movies that are intentionally made to be bad and bad movies that are intentionally made to be good. I prefer the latter. Thanks Killing is a perfect example of a bad movie that is intentionally made to be bad. Now, personally, I do not have the patience for these types of movies. That's not to say there's not a big market for them, because there is. Trauma Entertainment, or Trauma Entertainment for one, has been very successful in making bad movies that are intentionally awful, and, and people love them. In fact, one of my favorite filmmakers, Trey Parker, came out of Trauma Studios and made a few of those type of films himself, like Cannibal the Musical and Orgasmo. I don't particularly like those movies because I prefer the movies he makes where he's trying to make good movies, like Team America and the South Park film. You know, I will always prefer movies where the director's intent was to make something good than movies where the director's intent was to make something bad. Now, there are a lot of people out there that like irony in their bad movies. They like to know that they're in on the joke. I'd say those days are over. The only reason that you'd want to be in on the joke is to avoid the cringe factor of feeling like you're laughing at something rather than laughing with it. So my first piece of advice to a young filmmaker wanting to make a movie so bad that it's good is to steer clear of irony. This isn't the 90s. Millennials these days, we're living in a post-irony existence, a post-9-11 world. Just look at the memes that are getting the most upvotes on Reddit. Most of them are impossible to understand if you're over the age of 40. But us youngsters, us cool kids, you know, the, uh, you, uh, the, us, you know, us whippersnappers, we realize that because they're impossible to understand, that's what makes them hilarious. Nobody knows what the fuck a stonk is, but that meme's off the charts. Steer clear of irony. We don't want our bad movies ironic anymore. The days of trauma or trauma or however you pronounce it, those days are done. That kind of shit only appeals to Gen Xers and boomers. They're on their way out, though. They don't have time to watch any new movies. They're too busy raising kids and making doctor appointments. Millennials are where it's at. That's the hot market. And as the oldest millennial, which makes me the wisest millennial, I think I can speak for all the millennial when I say, we don't want our movies ironic. We want them bad, but not just any kind of bad. We want them spectacularly bad. For example, there was a movie that came out a couple years before Thanksgiving, but was light years ahead of its time, called The Room. You've probably heard about it, starring Tommy Wiseau. It was so popular that James Franco made a movie about it, and he could have won an Oscar for it if he wasn't such a pervert, but that's another story altogether. Let's keep the focus on the Orson Welles of bad movie making, Tommy Wiseau. This guy changed the game. And how'd he do it? By trying to make the best movie he could make. 
It's not enough to make something that sucks. You need to make something that sucks because you wanted it to be so good but are incompetent as a filmmaker. This is where the fun begins. Because millennials don't want to laugh with someone, they want to laugh at someone. But they also don't want to punch down. That's important. So the best person to laugh at is a film director. I mean, you can't name a more privileged job on this earth than a movie director. Tommy Wiseau is a privileged boy. He's so privileged that someone gave him millions of dollars to make a movie he had no business making in the first place. Here's a director so delusional, and I can't stress that word enough, that he made something so beyond bad that it's considered art. It's beautiful. The Room is a beautiful film. That's not a controversial opinion. Why was it beautiful? Because there's a purity in it. He wanted so desperately to make a Hitchcock film. He wasn't trying to make a Shyamalan movie. He wasn't working at the lowest level of his intelligence. As far as Wiseau was concerned, he was firing on all cylinders. The Room is not appealing just because it's bad. It's appealing because it's unique. Anyone can make a bad movie. You just apply the least amount of effort. Making something bad doesn't make it engaging. That requires a special skill. What makes something so bad that it's good and becomes engaging requires ambition. When you combine incompetence with ambition, that's when you get something that transcends amateurism. That's what makes The Room a better film, a better watch than Thanks Killing. Now, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of incompetence on display in Thanks Killing, but there's not a lot of ambition, is there? That's because Jordan Downey is a technician, but Tommy Wiseau is an artist. Now, is Tommy Wiseau my favorite So Bad He's Good auteur? No, he's not. Unfortunately, he's only made the one film. I believe he will make another one before he dies. I have to believe that because he's too talented not to. But my personal favorite So Bad He's Good filmmaker is a man, nay, an artist named Neil Breen. I really hope you've heard of him because he's going to be a lot harder to get into now that his films aren't available for free anymore. Now, I was lucky enough to discover Neil Breen when his breakout film, Fateful Findings, was available to watch on YouTube at no charge. I mean, now I see that his films are only available to rent. So if you type Neil Breen into YouTube, you're just going to get super cuts of clips or snide commentary, which are not the way to discover his work. I do not recommend watching the super cuts. The clips out of context do not work. You're just going to be confused and wonder what's happening. You need to watch these films in their entirety to understand their true magic. So if Tommy Wiseau is the Orson Welles of So Bad It's Good Movie Making, then Neil Breen has got to be its David Lynch. He's prolific, he's avant-garde, he never stops working, but unlike David Lynch, he's not just the brains behind his movies, he's the face of them as well. Which brings me to my next point. If you want to make a truly great bad movie. You have to be in the movie you're making. This is what makes Tommy and Neil so successful. They're writing, directing, producing, editing, and starring in their own films. Them being in the films adds a continuity to their work that you're not going to give the audience if you're strictly working behind the scenes. If you're familiar with the movie Birdemic, which is another so bad it's amazing movie written and directed by James Wynn, that one, by the way, is on Amazon Prime, so you can watch it if you've got the service. I recommend you do so. Now, what I think holds James Wynn back is that 
Although he's a great character in and of himself, he doesn't act in his films. Now, don't get me wrong. The male lead in Birdemic is amazing. I'd kill to work with him. I mean, he really slays it. I think his name is Alan Baggs, so credit where credit is due, Bag. And for those of you who are disagreeing with me right now in your head thinking, has Chris lost his fucking mind? Those actors are awful. I challenge you to do what they do. This is another thing that people don't realize about truly great bad movies. Bad acting is just as hard as bad movie making. Now, typically, when people try and ape bad actors, they often try overacting or doing silly facial expressions, but that's not what truly great bad acting is. And here's where irony comes back into play. A truly great bad performance is completely free from irony. The beauty of a great bad performance, much like the beauty of a great bad movie, comes from the actor trying their hardest to deliver the greatest performance they can imagine. Now, the fact that their imagination is limited in this regard, oddly enough, does not hinder our enjoyment of the performance. Instead, it enhances the performance to a level we never even knew existed. Now, this is one of the reasons why Birdemic franchise died after only two movies, because the first film is full of wonderful, irony-free, bad performances. But in, the, in its sequel, all of the actors are desperately trying to show the audience that they're in on the joke. But we don't want the actors in on the joke. We want them trying their best. In this regard, Tommy Wiseau is truly the Marlon Brando of bad performers. Nobody can do what Tommy Wiseau can do. James Franco is a pretty good fucking actor, but when he tries to act like Wiseau acts, you know, it comes across like an SNL impression because what Tommy Wiseau does is inimitable. Now back to James Wynn and why his career stalled. I'm not saying James Wynn needs to be the lead actor in his movies. He might not have the charisma to pull that off. And like I said, I really like the lead actor from Birdemic. Alan Bagg's a national treasure. They should name a bag after him. But if James Wynn molds himself after Alfred Hitchcock, then Alan Bagg, by all accounts, should be his Jimmy Stewart. Don't replace him. In fact, I suggest always working with the bag man. But I'm also suggesting that James Wynn should have been cameoing in all of his own films, much like Hitchcock and Shyamalan do. You know, James Wynn could be the gas station attendant or the butler or, or Private Eye. Uh, he'd actually be great as a Private Eye character now that I think of it. The point I'm making here is that with truly great bad movies, it's just as much about the director as it is about the film. We find these directors fascinating as people and we want as much of them as they can give us which is why it's great when they lead their own films. I'll tell you a story. A couple years back, Neil Breen was crowdfunding his new film. Now, you'd think that a Neil Breen fan as big as I am would jump at the chance to donate to a Fateful Findings 2, that I'd throw all my money at him, and I was prepared to do it. But although Neil Breen said that he was writing, directing, and producing the new film, he did not say whether or not he was acting in it. This raised a gigantic red flag. I started tweeting at Neil feverishly, begging for a little clarification, asking relentlessly if he was going to be acting in the film, but he never responded. So guess what? I didn't back the project. Now, if he would have just said, yes, Chris, rest assured, I will always be on screen, I would have immediately pledged my life savings. It wouldn't have mattered because I have nothing in the bank to give, but for some reason, he didn't think that him starring in the film was the movie's biggest selling point. This proves that not only is he a great director, but he's humble. He's a humble man. Neil, I love you. Please cast me in your next film or don't, but just, you know, let me follow you around on set for 30 days. I need to know what it's like to be you. Let's circle back to Thanksgiving, okay? The question is, 
what makes Jordan Downey less than Tommy Wiseau and Neil Breen? And I get that I'm being hard on Thanksgiving. It was released 12 years ago, and I'm trying to hold it up to today's standards, which I get is unfair, but we do the same thing for good movies, so I don't know why it should be any different for bad ones. My biggest beef with Thanksgiving is it makes the critical error of being in on the joke which I think makes it a boring movie. The filmmakers know it's bad, they want it to be bad, so the movie is incapable of surprising you because you know it's always gonna go for what's obviously bad. They want it to be obvious, and this is crucial, because they don't want you to think that they unwittingly made a bad movie. They want you to know so desperately that they did this on purpose, and that's the mistake. When you're more concerned about protecting your pride or your ego and less concerned with taking risks, you're going to make an uninteresting movie. Now, Neil Breen and Tommy Wiseau, and to a lesser extent, James Wynn, had the courage to be uncompromising in their vision. This is what makes them the best of the best. Because what filmmakers like them have in common with filmmakers like Paul Thomas Anderson, Quentin Tarantino, Stanley Kubrick, Martin Scorsese, etc., etc., is the bravery to make the best movie they could regardless of the circumstances they were given. You're probably thinking, Chris, but I'm a great filmmaker. If I set out to make a good film, I'm going to make a good film. I don't see how your advice is going to help me make a bad one if that's what I want to do. Wrong! First of all, it's very likely that you're not a good filmmaker. It's more likely that you're delusional and if you make the best thing you're capable of making, it's gonna be a piece of shit. Get over yourself. And second, I'm trying to explain here the psychology behind a great bad film and a great bad filmmaker. In order to make a great bad film, you have to think like a great bad filmmaker. Thanksgiving is such an obvious parody that it's boring. All of the bad decisions he makes revolves around stereotypes and shock humor. If I wanted to watch a movie like that, I've got the Wayans Brothers. Jordan Downey's trying to make a bad movie through story and characters, but what he needs to be focusing on is performance and presentation. Don't dumb down the stories and the characters. In fact, do the opposite. Make them overly complex. Make it obnoxiously nuanced. Make it as convoluted as you possibly can because that's what makes Neil Breen a genius. And then, when you've done that, now you're able to spend all of your time on set focusing on performance and presentation. Get it right. And when I say get it right, I mean get it wrong. But not in an obvious way. You know, audiences can smell bullshit. They know when something's not genuine. It's going to take a lot to fool them. There's this great scene and Birdemic, and I'll play you a little clip. The CEO of the company the main character works for is giving his employees some great news, and James Wynn cuts to them applauding their CEO. Now, I want you to listen to how he edits this scene, okay? Listen carefully. Let's roll the clip. You guys have worked hard, and you've all earned your stock option. Congratulations. Yeah. Did you hear that? Instead of the sound of continuous applause, as it would normally be in a movie, the applause is edited in a way where he uses the full applause from each individual take 
which is why you hear the applause crescendo, then subside, and then instantly spike back up when they cut to a new shot. This is something only an incompetent filmmaker would come up with. People like Jordan Downey would never think of doing something like this because he's so focused on making obvious mess-ups, he doesn't consider that the unobvious is what's funnier. Ignore the rule of threes, edit your movie poorly, use flat lighting, over-direct your actors. I know you don't want your film student friends watching your movie and lecturing you afterwards about how you broke the 180 rule, but if you're not willing to break every rule in the book, then you're not an artist. You're a hack. Hacks make Thanksgiving. Artists make the room. Which one do you want to make? Decide. Because guess what? You're not going to be famous. You don't have the money. You don't have the resources. But that shouldn't stop you from being infamous. I really hope you enjoyed this pseudo Thanksgiving theme, but not really episode of You're Hearing Things. As always, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Chris Sandberg. That's Chris Sandberg without the vowels and only one S. So it's more like at Chris Sandberg. And please subscribe to the podcast, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, Breaker, Pocket Cast, who knows where else. And if you got an iPhone, go ahead and rate me five stars on Apple Podcasts. Even if I'm not a five-star podcast, it always helps my confidence to see that I am. That's all I got for you this week. And until next time, you're hearing things. Things.